For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Can you believe this? Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. Hold that follow through. That's right. This is what takes you to another level. Welcome in and what the Pell is up, everybody. This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Before we get started, make sure you subscribe and or follow depending on where you are listening to this podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you leave that rate and review. Really, really helps us out. We've been stuck around 40 reviews for a little while, and if we can get those bumped up, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And before we get started, also... Reminder to tell a friend about the podcast today, today as well. And on today's show, we have Derek Murray of Babcock Hoops joining us today. He is the director of scouting for Babcock Hoops. They over there are led by Matt Babcock, who is a CBS sports analyst. He covers the NBA draft for them, also a former NBA agent. So what I was told by Matt is that Derek is an extension of himself and Derek brought it. Derek really brought it. It was a really fun conversation. We talked about who the Pelicans will draft, whether it's at 13, whether they move up into the top 10, or whether they acquire some later on picks from teams like the Nuggets or the Nets. So tons of different scenarios going on, tons of different players we talked about. So stick around for our conversation with Derek Murray of Babcock Hoops. And we're joined by Derek Murray of Babcock Hoops. He's the director of basketball scouting. Of just scouting? Obviously, it's basketball. I'm pretty Either sure. <laughs> yeah, whatever <laughs> okay. works. Cool. For those of you who are on YouTube, obviously, this is the Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans podcast with your host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. And Derek, while we're starting off the show, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter is uh, DMurrayNBA. D-M-U-R-R-A-Y-N-B-A. That's pretty Perfect. easy. And he is crushing it on Twitter as always. But to introduce you a little bit more, Derek, how you doing? And and I imagine draft time is pretty pretty nuts for you. So are are you holding up down in Oklahoma City? We are. I mean, the closer we get, obviously, the more it picks up for Matt and I and and our group. Um, it's crazy. A week away. It's like this process has felt so long. It's an overanalyzed group of guys. It's an over scouted, if you will. I mean, some teams we talked about, like they stopped video scouting these guys months ago because they didn't want to change things on their board just to change them. Like sometimes in social media, media guys, like they'll move stuff on their board just to do it. So it's kind of interesting to hear how all like different teams have taken the approach. Um, but, you know, we've been at workouts for the last couple months, um, traveling all over the country, Matt and I have. So it's nice that finally we're almost a week out and we finally get some answers here. Yes, very much looking forward to that. That was a that was a question I was just going to ask. I mean, how has the pandemic? You mentioned those those teams really stopping watching the the tape and stuff like that. Has has it affected your process at all? I mean, this is usually something that happens in June, not in November. Right. So from May, or I'm sorry, March when it all got shut down until probably May, we were watching you know as much film as possible. Probably every game of every consensus top sixty prospect at least like we're just watching a ton of film and after a while we kind of adopted the same thing of like hey well you can only watch the same film so many times so let's go see these guys in person and what our trips did it really helped us see who was taking advantage of the process you know there were some guys we went and it's like okay you I don't think you're taking advantage of this pre-draft process as well as you probably could have you go into some gyms it's like wow you have clearly been working and you have improved parts of your game. You've improved your body. You know, there are different guys who have handled it differently, just like any of us have. Like there are some guys 
or some people during the pandemic were in their craft, they're getting better working from home or in their schooling. Like I've told my little brother, he's in college, right? I'm like, Hey, use this time to get better at something. You know, we have a lot of downtime right now. And a lot of these guys have taken advantage of this extended pre-draft process. And that's why it's been great for us to travel because we've gotten to see who's done that. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, it shows you who really cares about basketball. Right. Is there, I mean, is there anything else that sticks out to you, at least from that vantage point? I mean, there are people and notably I'm trying to think Andrew Bynum is a guy who was good at basketball, but didn't really care about basketball. And there's other people who don't admit that type of stuff, but is that something that can separate these guys from the rest of the field come draft time? Absolutely. And that's what at Babcock Hoops, we've been able to gather a lot of intel about during this summer and a lot and deep into this fall as well. You know, there was a time where, where front offices and basketball operations, people weren't allowed to travel. It was basically a, a blackout period. They weren't allowed to get into workouts. They weren't allowed to interview or talk to these players. So we were on the road doing it for them. You know, we'd go into gyms, we'd get to know guys. I'd hang out with prospects in the gym uh, um, at impact in Las Vegas. I'd get to sit there on the court and talk to some of the guys and Matt would talk to the agents and, you know, we really got to know a lot of these prospects just as people and not for their basketball. And a lot of times in phone calls, that's what I would get asked. You know, when I leave one gym, I get a call from a team. Hey, what was this kid like as a person? Does he love basketball? What's his work ethic during this time when there are no cameras? That's what I've been asked more than probably anything basketball related or skill related, which is really interesting to see because when you invest I mean, I forget what Pelicans picking 13th, you know, you're going to invest X million dollars over the next four years into this player at a rookie scale. You're investing in an individual and not just what he does with the rock. And that's what these teams want to know. Now, before we really dive into the Pelicans thick of it, is there any player that's truly separated himself in terms of desire, wanting to get better, loving the game of basketball, this, this hiatus that we've been in? The one that we come away from the workout and it's just like, wow, like we liked the kid before, but now we really, really like him. That's Malachi Flynn, point guard from San Diego State. That's a guy where I haven't seen somebody this focused and driven uh, in, in a while. And you walk into the gym, he's a nice guy, he's a great kid. He straps the shoes on, it's over. You don't matter to him anymore. All he cares about is getting better during the workouts and beating you in the runs. And that is, that's all that matters to him. And that kind of focus, I came away from the gym, I said, that's the guy I want on my team. Um, you know, he's not the tallest or longest guard in the draft, but he cares. And, you know, that's not to say the other guys we saw this summer weren't and don't, um, but he's the one we came away, like, very, very impressed. Mm. It's a little bit of foreshadowing. We're planning on talking about him in just a second here. So, nice. so glad to hear that. So, like we talked about before with a friend of not only the show, but a friend that Derek knows, Ethan Piotta of the Prospect Pod, glaring needs for the Pelicans – this year in the NBA draft, at least from, from what our evaluation has been, is point guard, a spacing four, and, and a four that can protect the rim in order to, well, make up for Jackson Hayes. And also uh, Derek Favors is possibly going to be leaving the team this offseason. And then a three and D player. Do you see any other positional needs on, that, on this roster, or, or do you disagree with any of our evaluations there? I think right now I would just take the best player available because you're not title contenders right now. You know, if you're, if, if a team is a title contender or they simply have very, very little to grasp onto as hope for the future at that point, I think you target a position. Um, you know, there are some teams in the lottery where it's like, Hey, you need a point guard. There are some teams in the lottery of, Hey, you need, you know, you need the mental toughness. You need to select, you know, a, B or C the Pelicans have so much youth and they're so talented across the board where even though there are holes, if you will, on the roster, they're not trying to win a title next year. So I would go just best player available. And what makes the Pelicans spot at 13 so interesting is, you know, Matt, I've been hearing a lot today of a lot of big movement potentially coming in the next couple of days, especially on draft day. You know, we've done all these mocks and all these shows where the order doesn't change. And then today it's, he's gotten multiple phone calls to us and said, Hey, we're moving. We're trying to move. We're trying to move. It's like, okay. So if I'm the Pelicans, I don't know if I would sit there and say, Hey, we're only taking a guard or we're only taking a big, I would say I would zero in on probably five guys that you think are going to be there in that third in round 13 and simply say, who is the best talent and let's work. Let's take that individual just because of the timeline of the organization right now, you know, they're not trying to win next year. So just rack up as much young talent as you can. 
Okay. So let's look at that 13th pick first. We'll talk about other scenarios in just a little bit, but in your most recent mock draft for Bob Babcock hoops, I'm going to mess that up a bunch of times. I okay. <laughs> a Babcock hoops, their most recent mock draft, Tyrese Halliburton was number 13 in that mock draft. He's usually top 10. Is he a guy that is 13th on your board? And, and before, I guess before we really dive into Halliburton, who is, let's say, number 13 on your board, their best option, most talented player once 13 comes around? What, who do you see that being? So to answer first question, we do have Halliburton there. Some teams we've talked to love him in the five to seven range. Other teams we've talked to like him at the back of the lottery. Some teams are very concerned with his body. And I will say, when we were at Impact, we watched him work out for a couple days. I really worry about him being able to put on weight that allows him to hang one-on-one on either side of the floor at the NBA level. You know, we know how good his spot-up shooting is. And even though his form is funky, I'm telling you, stood right behind him, have no clue how he gets that ball to go in but he just doesn't miss. Like It comes out of his hand weird, but everywhere you go, who's the best shooter? Halliburton is. Like, it's, it's just widely known. So somebody, I don't, I don't think he'll be there at 13. Um, but again, if trades happen and things move around as much as we think they will now in the top 10, there's a world in which he could fall to you. Um, the guys that I would hope for and try to target at 13, you know, if I was Pelican, I was like, okay, here's my board. If one of these guys are there, we're taking them. It's Vassell, Hayes, Neesmith, and then I w- I'm going to say Hampton and Isaiah Stewart. Those are guys that, if they're there, they have very high ceilings. They're extremely talented, and I think that they'll. I think at least two or three of those will be there around 13, and 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 they'll be able to uh, uh, be options. Okay, the two that I have not really looked into too much is going to be RJ Hampton and Isaiah Stewart. Uh, could, could you elaborate on those for us? We haven't really talked about, about, about them on the podcast like at all. So for sure. So Hampton was a, a super highly rated recruit out of high school and decided to go to New Zealand. You know, LaMelo Ball got off playing in the NBL, but Hampton went over there as well. He's recently signed with and been training with Mike Miller leading up to the draft, really working on his shot, his mechanics. He's six foot five and incredibly athletic. Uh, not very like he's gonna have to put some weight on but he's got a terrific frame a little skinny right now but man is he explosive he is fast he is in one step two steps downhill he's past you you're not gonna stop him Uh, the thing about him that he's gonna have to get better at is the finesse his touch and his shooting so from an explosive athleticism length size youth combination Hampton is awesome and again he's one that we've heard some people like him in the back end of the top 10 some people don't like him till the late teens. It's a fairly wide range for an ultra talented kid. But again, a team like New Orleans, we don't know if he's going to play the one or the two at the next level. So you take him as a potential combo guard, extremely athletic, high ceiling, give him time to develop because you're not trying to win a title next year. Hampton can be a great option if he's there at 13 and the other guys on the board that you want have gone ahead. The other one is Isaiah Stewart center out of Washington. I believe RCSI, he was number two in the country last year. Six foot nine, um, 250 pounds, just a load of a human being. Physical bruiser will beat you up all game. And he is one that could go really nicely with or rotating with Jackson Hayes. So he plays a center, might play a little bit of the four sum at the NBA level, kind of a Montrezl Harrell type role, uh, depending on how teams want to use him. We like him because we buy his ability to shoot at the next level. Again, not some stretch five who's going to sit out there and take three or four threes a game, but enough to where you have to respect him. You can't just leave him. You can't sag off of him. But again, Stuart, when we interviewed him, he's an incredible combination of humility and confidence. And that is something that not every prospect has. He's extremely self-aware. He knows what he's good at. He knows what his weaknesses are. Um, But he knows he's good at the same time. Like one team asked him, we told one team asked him, uh, you know, you're, the defense, the zone at Washington really hindered your ability to, to show what you can do. You know, they basically ran a 4-1 where the wings were extremely high up on the side, and it left Isaiah almost down in the paint by himself, like hanging out to dry sometimes. He said, if you go back and watch my high school tape, AAU tape, he said, no one scored on me. He said, I bullied everybody. He's like, I know there are things I have to work on, but I also know what I can do. 
And I just respect that a lot. So 13 is going to be way higher than any other media outlet has on the board, uh, has Stuart on their board. But again, if you're New Orleans and you have that internal conversation and your high ceiling guards are off the board, maybe you, to your point earlier, hey, Jackson Hayes, maybe we take another big. Maybe you play them together. Maybe you swap them in and out and rotate. But Stewart is the guy at 13 that we would look at. Hampton, I've generally seen probably 14 in past, and Stewart, I generally see around 20. So yeah. just kind of been like that. And I don't, <laughs> I don't necessarily like Hampton as much as the other guys do. So right. um, if he does fall, we appreciate the evaluation, or he did fall to the Pelicans, I should say. Go to yeah. the Pelicans. Appreciate the evaluation. We'll definitely return to yeah. this and bring it up for, for future reference. And again, taking a guard if you're in New Orleans, that's reading a lot into the Lonzo situation. And it is what it is. Like some days we hear he wants out, some days we hear he doesn't. And that's what it's going to come down to. You know, if you think Lonzo's as good as gone, then you do probably say we're taking a guard. Um, and again, I think Hampton will be there in the, in, in the discussion. But if Lonzo stays, you know, Okongwu and Wiseman, they're far and away big number one and big number two. One day I think Wiseman's better. One day I think is better. But what, they're both going to be off the board in the top probably six or seven. So if you're a team like New Orleans or even Boston at 14, it's like, hey, we might want to go big. I think Stewart's that next option. So even though it's high, he's the next one on the board talent-wise, and that's why I think he would be discussed. So a name that we've talked about as a 4-5 kind of guy around 13 has been Jalen Smith from Maryland. Do you, do you prefer Stewart over Smith? I do because of the physicality. But I will say there are some late lottery teams that do like Jalen Smith and are very high on him. Um, Smith and Najee. Smith, Najee, and Stewart are generally grouped together as far as bigs in a tier, if you will. And I think that's fair. They each do different things. Um, Smith, it would not shock me if he was the first one taken out of those three. Tall, long, athletic, and can just shoot the ball. Like, as a trailer, he's money He's money from three. Um, catch and shoot guy, high release point. You're not ever going to block him. I worry about his lower body, quite frankly. Stewart and Najee, they're so powerful. Um, that I don't worry about them physically being able to hang at the next level. Stu or um, Smith, there are some days where it's like I don't I don't know if I could, if I want you banging down low all game. So he and Jackson Hayes, it'd actually be interesting if you went high low, um, and, and that's another one that actually could make sense if they think that his shooting is good enough to take a thirteen. Okay, and the physicality was a concern for me. I mean, he averaged. 10 and a half boards and two and a half blocks without being physical. That's kind of the upside that I see with Smith too. And being a spacing four, like I said, that's something that the Pels probably are looking for to complement Zion. So my, my issue with Smith, you know, on the blocks per game, a lot of his blocks were he used his length to recover after being beat. Mm. And that's something on film where I'm not going to project you as a great shot blocker if you're getting beat and then recovering, because at the NBA, that's not happening. Um, you know, a, a point guard from Minnesota getting past you and then Kyrie Irving driving past you, one of them you're going to recover, one of them you're not. Um, so he is a very smart defender. A lot of his rotations are they're on time. He's in the right spot. But again, I don't buy the shot blocking numbers just quite as high as some others. Fair enough. And I mean, you, you hit it. Speed is also completely different at NBA level as opposed to the D1 college basketball. But you mentioned those two other names, Halliburton, Neesmith. And then there was another one, though. I wrote an initial draft article in August for that 13th pick. This is before Williams really ascended. Patrick Williams has as he has more recently. And I put Alex at Alexei Pokashevsky, I want to say I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. But yeah. I had him at that 13th spot as just a long shot because Piota likes him so much. Yeah. But the one that oh, really – Oh, Ethan, Ethan's like top five on him. Yeah, he is. He is. Ethan, man, anytime I see anything Pokashevsky out there in the media, I'll text, I'll text Ethan. Exactly. Yeah, he's, he's crazy. <laughs> he is. He is. Now, coming away from that specific article, I, I'm still riding with Halliburton, Neesmith, and Smith. Uh, less lesser so Smith especially after this conversation but the one guy that really I feel like has a chance to go at 13 and the Pels could get a lot of value out of is Kyra Lewis how do you feel about Lewis so in our previous mock not the last week update but the one before we had Kyra there for a long time 
Um, I was with Lewis and his group down in Miami not too long ago. We went and watched him work out in, uh, in, in the Varus, his Varus sports team. I'm telling you, that kid is so fast. I think, you know, our prospect research guy, Babcock Hoops, Grant, a key. He says it better than anybody else. He says if Kyra played at Kentucky, he'd be top five in every conversation. It's just the jersey he had on. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not that – I think he measured six one and a half shoes, not crazy length. But what I liked in person was that he absorbed contact in those runs better than he did at Alabama. And I think that's going to be important for him as he attacks the lane. I'm not worried about him getting past anybody. He's going to be able to get past most people when he wants to. It's can he finish in the lane through contact. So that's, that's the, honestly one of my only concerns with him. His shot looks good. His mechanics are good. On defense, he stunts. He digs whenever he, whenever he can because um, his feet are so fast he can shut down lanes. You know, you're not going to see it in the stat sheet, but he's doing what he needs to do. Kyra is one where I have heard him potentially as high as four. I have heard him in the back end of the lottery. There is some late, late hype on Kyra, and I think it's deserved. I think he's going to be an incredible point guard. If if we'd have done this show a month ago, I'd have said, get him at 13. Right now, I say, I don't think there's a chance he gets there. If he is take him. <laughs> um, but yeah, according to our, you know, some conversations we're having the last couple of weeks, I don't know if he would be there. Um, you know, back into the top 10, a couple like Detroit, New York may grab him. And if I'm the Pelicans, I think the Kings would take him. I think the Kings would take him too. So I don't think he'll be there. Okay. There's that, pain, that, that, that pains me. Yeah, sure. Sure. The, the thing that provides some solace, I think to Pelicans fans is that this is such a deep class in terms of point cards, especially mm-hmm. I mean, and should Lonzo stick around, they're obviously looking for a backup point card. I, I mean, who knows with, if they get one of these top guys in, in, in Lewis, he could be a starter instead of Lonzo, especially if Lonzo continues this inconsistency and how just God awfully he played in the, in the bubble was pretty solid during the regular season. Not quite as consistent as you'd like him to be, but come bubble time, he was horrendous. So it's definitely a possibility. And I know, so we talked Halliburton, we talked Kyra Lewis, Jalen Smith, and then there's Aaron Neesmith that you mentioned there as well, the the Vanderbilt sharpshooter. I would be thrilled if the Pelicans got him here too. You know, not the greatest laterally in terms of quickness, but that 6'10 length provides a lot of value defensively that – he can, you know, recover a little bit more easier. And 52% on eight attempts from three per game is insane. I would just – I think he'd be a, a solid fit. He's another spacer on, on a team that has Zion Williamson as, as a cornerstone. Neesmith is a guy that I would absolutely target if I'm the Pelicans. Again, he's not going to be a 50% three-point shooter. The volume wasn't there because he got hurt halfway through the season. So – I actually don't remember. I think he might have hit 10 games on the year. I, I don't remember how many games exactly he played, Four, but it's not many. 14. 14. Okay, so it's in the teens. Again, he's he's used to shooting with incredibly high volume, and there's probably only a couple guys in this draft that do that. I think Neesmith, Bain, and Joe are probably the three. Maybe Nora as well, where you say, okay, like volume three-point shooters at the next level. Those are the three that stand out. Neesmith also interviews incredibly well good kid teams like him he's respectful great work ethic like I haven't heard a negative thing about him um Vandy coaches speak very highly of him to us so Neesmith's a guy again with Kyra and Patrick Williams and that hype with them moving up Neesmith is a guy that could potentially reper- repercussions fall to you at 13. I've seen him on some boards, some mock drafts, fall to even 18 to the Mavericks, which would be crazy again for, for him to fall that low. And, and then there's somebody like Sadiq Bey at 13. And I've been low on Sadiq Bey basically from the get-go. I don't see the high ceiling. Like if, if you're going to be in the lottery, you got to have somewhat of a ceiling rather than just being a high floor kind of guy. What does Sadiq Bey – do you, do you see him going at 13 to the Pelicans? Is that a possibility? Do you think he deserves it? That's another one we've heard quite a bit of a potential match. I would prefer Neesmith over Bay right now. But, again, a three-point shooter who's not going to do anything wrong. He's not going to cost you a game. He's going to give you good, solid defense, not elite. And he's going to give you good, solid offense, not elite. But he's an elite role player. 
Both of these guys can be elite role players on championship teams. Bay's going to be your spot-up shooting, where Neesmith, again, I like him a little bit more because of the way he can get open. You know, Stackhouse at Vanderbilt did a terrific job, more or less drawing route trees for Neesmith to run to get open off of any kind of screen, any direction. Like, they had, they just had him doing crazy stuff like a wide receiver. Bay does not do that. Bay is going to be your stationary corner spot up three point shooter. Now Bay's a little bit bigger. Um, so depending on who takes them, their roles actually could end up being fairly similar. Both guys we've heard um, ties to new Orleans, at least like from the media projecting them as possibilities at 13. Sure. And, and that's been a, those two have been very consistent. Like you said, from, from media outlets. Now to me, you've watched the film, you know, this probably better than I do. With Bay, it to a degree kind of seems like the Pels would just be adding another Josh Hart. Does that sound right to you? He wouldn't have the ball in his hand nearly the amount that Hart does. Okay. I don't. I don't want Bay as a ball handler whatsoever at the NBA level. Um, he has some. He has some difficulty creating advantages with his quickness. He he doesn't have crafty enough dribble to get around you. A lot of the times in isolation, if you watch the tape, he'll start going either direction, left or right, and it will turn into a post. It'll turn into a post up. Like he has trouble getting around people. So I see more as a perimeter spot up, almost turning into a small ball stretch four more than I do like a winger guard for him. Okay, sounds good. And, and again, I, I'm I'm not high on Bay, and and I think you just reinforced it. So. Glad to hear it. Uh, so, so this time around, like we've done in the past and, and we just did here, we've talked about that 13th spot and the Pels could 100% still be at 13 come draft night, but there is pretty much zero certainty surrounding where the Pels are at in this coming draft, much like a lot of other teams. And we've heard as of today that they might be in a trade situation with the Hawks. And then that got shut down by the, the athletic beat reporter for the Hawks. But could still be a three-team trade sort of situation. We know the Pels want to move up into the top 10. And then there's the situation with a potential trade with the Nuggets and with the Nets, whereas the Nets have number 19 in this year's first round and the Nuggets have number 22 in this year's first round of the NBA draft. So we'll start there and we'll end with the fun stuff where the Pelicans potentially end up in the top 10. So, in that 19 to 22 range, this article that came out today from the, uh, the bird rights that, uh, that I put together, I've got Desmond Bain, Malachi Flynn, and just the one high ceiling guy, because you don't tend to see high ceiling guys pass the lottery, at least from my understanding. I could, I could be wrong there. But one high ceiling guy I see being Tyrese Maxey. I, I don't have a favorite of these three necessarily, but – do you, do you see those guys being somebody that the that the Pelicans could grab at nineteen twenty two in that range? Should they end up there as well? Absolutely, um, especially Flynn and Maxi. You know, let's say they pick nineteenth. That means that would, like you said, mean you're moving Drew, and at that point, I think you have to go guard. I don't care if it's point guard, combo guard, either one. Um, if you want a point guard, again, Flynn is Flynn is the guy. I know Maxi played some point guard in high school. I think he's an undersized two in the NBA who can maybe run the offense and pass a little bit out of it. But I think he's more of a two than a one. So it depends on which direction you want to go. But again, I like both of those guys and I don't think you could go wrong with either one of them at 19. How about Bain? Is he a guy you see more towards the late end of the first round? Yep. I was with Bain and uh, he and his agent Seth watched them and work out in Miami for a couple days. Again, that was, that was just fantastic. Watching him shoot in person is it's something else. He just simply does not miss, um, you know, hit like 115 shots in a five minute drill in front of me. I just couldn't believe it. Like he probably missed two or three in five minutes, just nonstop and got himself in tremendous shape. Um, doesn't seem to get tired even after just hours of shooting and workouts. Like he's in terrific shape. And I think he's going to be a great perimeter scorer. I think for New Orleans specifically, if you move Drew and go to 19 or 22, you need to take a ball dominant guard. So it's not a dislike for Bain. It's a position wise, you've moved a guard. You don't know what's going to happen to Alonzo. You've got to secure part of that backcourt. So that's why I would go with one of those other two. So let's say they get Kyra Lewis at, at 13 and somehow or, or end up in the top 10 somehow, but still retain this 1922 pick. Could they 
go the Desmond Bain route, would you advise that rather than getting a ball-dominant guard like a Malachi Flynn? I'm trying to look at who we've got in that, like, 19 to 20 range. I think, again, being young, I would take a high-ceiling guy first. I would take a, a freshman or international kid with a super high ceiling. You know, Bain, I think, is a tremendous addition to a team who needs to win a championship in the next two to four years. That's why I think Milwaukee, Boston, the Lakers, the Raptors, uh, and Dallas, those are the guys I'm all over Desmond Bain because he's going to come in. He's going to fill a role right now. He's mature. He's a pleasure to talk to. Great kid. But if I'm trying to build a long-term roster, I just, I'm going to take an 18 or 19-year-old. Um, so in that range, let's see, McDaniels is a guy I would target. Pokushevsky is a guy I would target. Um, Pokushevsky actually has a couple promises, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up going. People, if you really want him, I have to trade up to get him. Uh, let's see. Jalen Smith we have in that 20-ish range, and Zeke Naji is another one. He's similar to Stewart. You know, some teams are incredibly high on him. Some teams are a little lower. But as a big, depending on how a team values him um, or values bigs in today's NBA, you know, will really affect their draft stock. If you get, let's say, Kyra at 13, hypothetically, I would look for a guy like McDaniels, Pokusevsky, or Zeke Naji at that 19 or 22. So for me, in, in what I've seen mostly from, from media outlets, when you talk about those three, I tend to see Najee towards, again, the back end of the first round. McDaniels is a guy who, again, from what I've seen, is one who had this super high rating coming out of high school, went to Washington, and then was just kind of like he just didn't really do what he was expected to do. Um, I, remind me, who was the third one we just talked about? Was it Smith? Uh, Pokashevsky. Pokashevsky. There we go. Okay. And then <laughs> um, given his – Ethan really hyped him up. And, and yeah. I watched some of his tape. The issue is, for me, it looks like they were playing at men's league and then there was Pokashevsky, you know, the local rec center, and then there was Pokashevsky. And he is a twig. I mean, he makes Brandon Ingram look like he's jacked. And the thing about him is, I mean, we know Giannis came from that league. But Giannis is just, you know, comparing anybody, yeah, comparing him to anybody is is just not yeah, fair. That's unfair. <laughs> exactly. And the, and, and Pokashevsky might have to be another draft and stash kind of guy. Is it worth it around that spot? Around pick twenty, I do think Pokashevsky's worth that. Absolutely. You know, my hesitation with Pokashevsky, two things. Neither one of them is related to what he can do with the basketball. It's physicality to your first point. And my, you know, my second hesitation is so, so somebody I've talked to with ties to the team, they shared that Poku's a bit of a homebody. You're going to have to worry or you're going to have to plan for an 18 year old kid who's never really left home and bringing him to the United States and giving him millions of dollars. Not everybody handles that the right way. And this is not to say that any intel I have says that Bokusevsky can't do that. It's that we don't know. It's just a big question mark. And it's hard to invest millions of dollars into a question mark. So the team that takes Pokusevsky, they will have done their homework. And they will be extremely confident in his ability to either stay stashed for a little while or come over and get right in the G League system. Because, again, he's going to have to get his body ready. If I'm New Orleans, let's say you trade Drew, you get a point guard early. I, I love taking Pokusevsky there. Again, I'm not as high as Ethan. I'm not taking him in the top 10. But he is so smart. He is so skilled. He's a point guard until he shot up to seven foot. So he's got guard skills. He thinks he's a one, which, again, I love from a seven-footer. On defense, he's a headhunter. You try to go to the rim, he's going to chase you and try to block you. That's just what he wants to do. The big questions are, again, the competition. I'm, I'm six foot four, not crazy athletic. I'm a power forward in that league. He's dominating, as he should. Um, but again, around 20, if your question marks are cleared up, if you have, if you're tight with, you know, some scouts and your international guys have done their homework and they're tight with those coaches and they get good Intel, absolutely bring the kid over. All right. Now, now those other two that we had just mentioned, McDaniels and Najee, are those concerns that I, that I had listed fair? Do you think that their talent outweighs those concerns by taking them at that 20 type of position? 
I think they're both great value picks there. I wrote a big piece on McDaniels probably a couple months ago, and I literally titled, titled it Pursue at Your Own Risk because if it hits, you're going to look like a genius. You've got a six foot nine, long, lanky, bouncy guy who can hit pull up shots from anywhere on the floor. If he doesn't get his body right and doesn't figure it out, he has some real bust potential. And that's why I don't think he's going to go in the lottery. And I think he's going to go more towards the 20s because the variance of what you're going to get from him is so wide. So that's the scary part about McDaniels. It's not that his ceiling isn't high enough. It's quite frankly that his floor is so low. With Najee, he's a guy that we had late first for a while. And then we walked into Impact in Las Vegas. He had cut his hair and he put on about 15, 17 pounds. He walked in the gym in a wife beater and I actually nudged Matt. I said, I said, who just walked? I said, who is that big kid who just walked in here? He goes, Derek, like that's Zeke. That's Zeke. I did not recognize him when he walked in from across the gym. He weighs, you know, he's six ten and a half. I believe he's six eleven in shoes and the measurements, two forty seven, and just has gotten. I mean, he is huge. Still, uh, just just turned maybe halfway nineteen. I mean, he's got it mentally. He's got it physically. And the thing is, Arizona did let him display how well he can shoot the ball. He actually won a three-point competition in high school, and then Arizona just didn't let him shoot threes. So at impact, all he's been doing is shooting outside, and it looks, and it looks awesome. On our Babcock Hoops website, website we put up um, a video of him shooting. You know, we took some stuff. We Some camera guys were also in there. We got our hands on that footage. Again, Zeke's a guy that at 20, if you want to go big, he's absolutely a target for me. And quite frankly, I don't really have many red flags. You know, he's not a super high ceiling guy, but I think he's a starter. Um, and I think long-term he's a guy that you could use as a, as a stretch big on your team. Najee just shooting 17 attempts from three this last year, uh, 29.4%. Yeah. So he just made five, but he has that free same, throw. Same exact percentage as Anthony Edwards. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he does have that free throw percentage at 76, which is a good indicator of him yeah. being able to translate that to uh, shooting an excellent, not an excellent, but a, but a solid three-point percentage in the NBA. Now, we kind of really went over it pretty quick, but Malachi Flynn, a name that you said you like, a good character guy, a, good who, a guy who loves basketball, and then Tyrese Maxey. When we spoke with, with Ethan, Maxey was a guy who's a, a shot creator. And, and like you said, he's a small shooting guard. Is, is he a guy like you, like I had mentioned, be, is, is, is he a high ceiling guy at that 19-22 kind of range that you can say, wow, that was a steal. He ended up being a star. What do you, what do you see his ceiling being? Maxie is so interesting. Some teams have him in the back end of the top 10. Some have him in the back end of the 20s. And it's, it's really fascinating. Um, Uses his length extremely well on defense. He is a pesky on-ball defender. I would not want him to guard me. That would be a rough evening. He's um, I think he's, he's he's quick. He is strong. Again, still young. I think he's going to be an incredible defender at the NBA level. On offense, he has some trouble with explosion in traffic at the lane. He's a great finisher, but similar to Jalen Smith and his recovery blocks, how does that look on an NBA floor? I look at Maxie's inability to elevate in traffic and a lot of these creative circus finishes he has you know, amongst the trees, does that fly at the NBA level? On one hand, you look and say, hey, in a more open floor, he's getting to the lane and doing what he wants to. On the other hand, you know, driving at a Mississippi State backup center is much different than driving at Steven Adams. And it's really how you project him, his athleticism and ability to finish that either rises him or has him fall in, in, in your book. Um, I believe, let's say Pelicans were to make one of those trades at 19 or 22, take him. I think he's a great selection. Uh, I, I just, I think around 10, 13 may even be a little high. He's going to have to work on his form as well. His shot is more push than shot. And it's really, really low. Like he's not big enough to get away with that low release for a long time. If that is something that he corrects, gets the release point more above his head. At that point, you've got a really good NBA player. Um, so that's why I think he'll actually, I think he'll go pretty high in the draft. I could see him back into the lottery mid teens is ultimately where I think he'll probably end up. Um, and again, first point of emphasis is going to be getting that shot up because if you do, you've got an impact player on both sides of the floor and Maxi can be really, really good. 
shot selection was an issue at uh, the collegiate level too, from, from what I've read. I mean, that's another really low percentage shooter from three-point land. 33 of 113 this last year, 29% from three. Do you think that that three-point percentage is an indicator of his jump shot? Or, I mean, Pell's just brought back Fred Vinson. I, I'm not sure if you know much about Vinson, but he did wonders with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram right. this last season. I mean, is that cause for concern, or can Fred Vinson change it and make it better? Maybe not as quick as as we'd like to think, but but to a decent speed. While it is cause for concern, it's not something that makes him undraftable or slip a long way in my book. You know, if a guy has multiple years of college of college film where the three point shot is really erratic, or let's say it's really high one year and really low the next, you know, at that point I say, okay, there's some inconsistency here. Again, because he only has one year of film, you can either say, hey, we don't know what he has. He has great touch in the lane, beautiful touch on floaters, really good free throw shooter. So you say, you know, some will say, hey, I think he's going to be fine. You can also look at his high school and AAU tape, terrific shooter. Um, so it's not a huge cause of concern for me, or it's not a number that I say, whoa, Tyrese Maxey, not a shooter. He's slipping for me because of that. It's, it's not that case at all. Now to Malachi Flynn. The, one of the bigger issues with, with Lonzo Ball is his inability to run the offense in the half court. And Flynn has been phenomenal in the pick and roll. I really emphasize that in, in the article that I just recently put together. 95 points by his a roller in, in, uh, in pick and roll and be a you know, pass or whatever. And I think that was one of the top numbers in the country, if not the top. Led the Mountain West in total assists and assists per game. So this is a guy, and then, I mean, you add to the character that, that you had mentioned and, and his desire to play basketball, and, and he's an instant impact guy. I mean, I, you've convinced me he's worth it at 1922. I mean, is there anything left to say about Flynn out of, out of San Diego State? So I, I was looking for the piece on the website because I did a big breakdown on him. Um, I was looking for the number. He ranked 96th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler just he does whatever he wants he's a wizard live dribble passer either hand either direction can hit it I was going to rack up a bunch of assists and he's smart he knows when to be aggressive and he knows when to back up maybe reset or hit a pull-up shot you know he's incredibly smart I think he's a guy that can come in and get NBA minutes next year because again the IQ and feel are there and he's mentally tough he was underrated out of high school. Only offer was Pacific until his senior year when they just rattled off a whole bunch of wins, went to state. I believe he got at his level in high school player of the year in the state of Washington. Washington State came in and offered him, so he went there. And then, quite frankly, got tired of a little bit of mediocrity and said, I need to find somewhere else to play basketball. Transferred to San Diego State. And we were told by some coaches that before, like on the plane from Washington State, knowing he's going to go to San Diego State, he already had the playbook and was already reading it and studying it because he knew he was going to come in and needed to run the show. Like it's that kind of commitment and no one had to tell him to do that. So I think wherever he ends up as a pro, here's a playbook. Flynn's probably going to say, um, I'll take it from here. You don't have to, you don't have to create an environment to make me want to learn. I will study this and we can start winning ball games. And that's, that's how I look at Flynn. And that's stuff you love to hear from, from guys you're possibly bringing in at, at especially at that place. And uh, again, when you're going around 1922 and you want more of a sure thing rather than a shot in the dark, not necessarily shot in the dark, but a shot for a guy who has a high ceiling, Flynn sounds exactly like, like that guy who, uh, who can do that for your team. Now, going towards the top 10, we've heard the Pels are interested in moving up, in, in going that direction. Possibly, should they trade Drew and acquire that 19 and 22 pick? They might package that plus the 13 and try to move up to top 10, or maybe they'll ship Drew somewhere in a three-team deal. There's a whole lot of situations that can happen. We may very well be knocked off our rockers with what happens come at draft night or, or within this next week. But should the Pels land at like five, six, something like that, maybe between six and 10 even, who is the dream scenario? So we can probably ex-nay Edwards, more than likely Wiseman, more than likely Ball. A Kung Wu has starting to, uh, you know, 
ascend boards as well. He's more than likely going to be in the top five. But if you had an absolute dream scenario, this guy is a high ceiling. He actually fits where we want and and he could be phenomenal, an, op, an awesome third star on your team next to Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson. Who is that for the Pelicans in that five, six, seven, eight range? So that's what's interesting. Five to eight, I don't think you're getting another star. And that's what's tricky about this draft. I think you're getting an incredible starter. I don't know if you're getting a star. Um, let's say, okay, I know that Kirshner of the Athletics shut down that Atlanta trade like really quickly. <laughs> Just we'll, we'll, we'll say that they do that deal. We'll say that the Pelicans end up at, at, at uh, six. You know, I expect Edwards to go one. I expect Wiseman and Okongwu to go two, three. Because Charlotte, um, a lot of media outlets are starting to report that Okongwu and, and Charlotte could be a match. I think there's a chance LaMelo Ball gets there to six. Um, not convinced Chicago would take him. And then Cleveland's going to have a discussion of, do they want to take a big? You know, they have so many guards now that they've taken the last couple of years. Do you take another one? Maybe admit or kick down the road, like, hey, maybe we missed here. Um, a lot of ties to Obi Toppin at five as well. So if they got to six, hypothetically trade Drew, I think LaMelo Ball would be on the table. Um, Kyra and Okoro. You know what, Kyra and Okoro are the guys that I would probably, I would definitely look to target. I personally think Hayes would be worth a shot there. A lot of NBA teams are actually lower on Hayes than a lot of the media. Um, you know, I like him kind of in that top eight. Most media have him in the eight to 14-ish, kind of at the back of the lottery. So let's say they move to that number six pick. Kyra and Okoro, I think if I had to give two names, those will be the targets. I haven't, I don't believe I've seen Kyra that high per these media outlets, these, these mock drafts that we've seen is you didn't say his name, but Denny Avdia, a guy that you think fits with the Pels. I mean, he's, it's kind of a gotten that reputation of being a stretch for he's another guy that I haven't looked into too much. Uh, I know that there's been some rumors about him and the Warriors and he's kind of just known as a top five kind of guy. Do, do you see Avdia being a fit there? So the Warriors have rumored to love everybody. Uh, they are just smokescreen city right now. And I really appreciate the work that they have done leaking that they like the top 25 players. Um, so shout out to their front office. I, th I think Denny and Chicago would be a match made in heaven. I think Kobe white has shown he can handle some guard responsibilities. Levine can play guard or wing, whoever you want to do it. And then Denny again, point forward capabilities. I really like Avdia's game. I, I do. So definitely like him. If, the Pelicans trade to number six, it's because they're now down a guard. So even if Denny was on the board, I think contextually you look at the roster, I would still go guard because that's the reason they're there. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, when we talk about Hayes, he is just, I mean, all the guys that I know from the bird rights love him. He, Kevin O'Connor is just obsessed. KOC would take him one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, you factor in the fact that he played in Germany in the BBL, not the greatest competition in the world, doesn't have the greatest jump shot. Shot creation is amazing. But the jump shot, 29%, once again, I, that's a magic number for this. It, it, it's a good number today. <laughs> <laughs> but is he falling that far for you? Uh, you mentioned these teams being lower on him than, than the media outlets are. Where does Killian Hayes fall for you? Do you think he's worth it at that sixth spot? If, if I mean, do you, do you take him or do you take Kyra? Do you have a preference between these two? Yeah, so that is going to be a internal discussion for a lot of the back end of that top ten. Do we like Kyra or do we like Killian Hayes? Um, again, Ball probably doesn't make it. There's a world. There's a world where he falls to Detroit at seven, and then at that point you have the Knicks, and it's do we like Kyra or, you know, and, and even the Suns, we like Kyra or, or Hayes. It's going to be situational. I think Hayes can play off ball more than Kyra can play off ball. So if you have a roster and it's like, we need a point guard distributor first, I think Kyra's the guy that you would choose. You know, speed like his, we have not seen, like it doesn't come around every draft. So that's why you would take him. If you have a guy who's kind of a one that can play the point guard or a combo guard a little bit, which again, Hayes in Charlotte, I don't think he'll go that high. 
but makes a lot of sense if you think Devontae Graham is a long-term option because he and Hayes could play off of each other as one or two. You could play them both as combo guards together. I think it becomes a discussion of how your shooting guards and point guards line up as far as the responsibilities that the coaching staffs want them to have because Hayes and Kyra, they're not going to play the same role. Um, so I think it's less of personal preference and more what is this roster built for? Okay. And, and yeah, it, it kind of depends on what ends up happening with it. I mean, you're, we're assuming Drew is gone in this situation. What do you want to do with Lonzo? Do you retain Lonzo? I mean, if, if Lonzo's there, Hayes can do both. So it's probably right. going to be if, Hayes. If Lonzo's there, I, I would probably take Hayes because Lonzo's improved shooting. You know, you can run him off ball. You know, you don't have to have the, the, the load of running the offense any, like right now. Um, and if you do want to run it, Hayes has showed the ability to shoot off movement really well. And at that point, both of your guards are big. You're running, what, 6'5", six, 6'7"? I mean, you've got a pretty big backcourt at that point. So, yeah, I, th I think I would take Hayes at that, at, at that spot if that's what it came down to. Sure. And, and the other name that you just mentioned there was Isaac Okoro. I haven't heard a lot of, you know, we won Isaac Okoro in New Orleans from, from these other guys. Uh, he is a, a name that I mentioned in this article that will be out today with the bird rights. I think the thing that is detracting people from Okoro is that stiff jump shot. He wasn't very consistent from the jump shot, uh, from three-point line, excuse me, this year. I think it was 28%. So, wow, different number. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the athleticism off the charts, yep. defensive capabilities, he's been likened to Andre Godala. I mean, the thing about that, I mean, he's a small forward, 6'6". Six, six. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Do you, do you make shift him into a two? Do you start Josh Hart? Do you put him at the three and put Brandon Ingram at the four and start Zion at the five, which would be kind of funky. You just immediately go small ball right. like the Houston Rockets did this last year. What do you do with a Coro should they take him in that top ten at six, six sort of range? Yeah. So I think the reason you don't hear about Pelicans and Okoro talk too much is because at 13, he just won't be there. So it's not that we don't like Okoro. It's we just understand he's not going to be there. Right. Which I think is the case because he's that good. If you pass on him at six, it's because of the shooting inconsistencies and the concern. Um, I wouldn't ever run him as my two. I think he is physical enough and he's big and strong and explosive enough to be your small forward. And I want him attacking closeouts regularly um, when he puts it on the deck attacking closeout it's over he's going to get by you every time and he's a terrific passer but I don't necessarily want him running a pick and roll so I see him as a three way more than I see him as a two um, and no matter where he would end up drafted that's how I would use him but again lockdown potential as an on-ball defender uh, it would always it's not a bad comp because that's probably the role long term as he develops he'll, he'll play so again definitely more small forward than uh, than two the other thing I wanted to say about Okoro, I the dismissal, not dismissal, but the trade trade of Drew Holiday in a scenario like this, you're getting rid of arguably the best individual defender in the league. Not the greatest team defender. That's where the Pels need to improve. Team defense ranked 19th in the league this last season, I think. Obviously, SVG is going to improve that. He's going to need to make Zion a better defender and BI a better defender. That's well known. Is Okoro a good enough team defender or is he another individual guy that's just going to lock up your best player? And, and the reason I like him as an individual defender is his size there too, because yeah. Drew is great, but you can't match him up, uh, match him up against LeBron. You can't match him up against Giannis because he's just too small. Right. If, if I'm a Coro, I'm watching all the Lou Dort film I can get my hands on from the bubble because that's the kind of defender he's going to be. I don't think, you know, Vassell, I believe is far and away a better off ball team defender because of his length, his, his instincts and the way he helps with, you know, all the time. Okoro is, I need that guy not to score. And Isaac, I'm going to need you to go guard him. Like that's the defender you're, you're getting with Okoro. Um, losing a guy like Drew, if you want to replace very similar defense, Okoro is the, Okoro is the guy you would pick. Okay. Now, if you want to, we're just going to kind of bounce around a little bit here between that six and 13 and just really talk players here is Halliburton to, to jump to the Iowa state guard. He's not an on ball kind of guy. He's an off ball kind of guy. Do you think that if he's brought in to 
New Orleans. He's been talked about as a guy who can contribute for a championship team because of his maturity, his ability to pass the ball, but he's not a guy that you give the ball to in the half court and say, run the offense. Do you think he's a guy who can, can step in and play that too next to Lonzo and replace Drew in the starting lineup? Maybe not right away, but, but quickly. I do. If again, Lonzo, Hey, you are our point guard. You are the offensive driver at all times. Uh, I guess minus when Ingram's driving. Uh, if Halliburton, again, off-ball shooter, spot-up shooting, catch-and-shooting, it's money. He's going to make your best players better as a passer. He's going to connect. He's going to play with great feel. He's going to play with an incredibly high IQ. He's not going to make mistakes. You're rarely going to get turnovers um, in half-court and transition. But as a one, you know, I, I don't see many lineups where he's the one trying to penetrate the lane. If it's one initiating the offense and then ultimately Lonzo or Ingram are the guys driving and creating and trying to score. Absolutely. Um, but again, you, the Pelicans take Halliburton if Lonzo is the guy at point guard. Which there is definitely no guarantee for that. We've heard that the Knicks like him at eight. That was a rumor that was going on like, oh, like two months ago. So who knows how that'll shake out. The, the backcourt is – starting backcourt is really the biggest question going into this year. So Halliburton could definitely be an option. Now, we talked about that spacing four. Now we're talking about this top ten potential. I like Devin Vassell a lot out of Florida State. I like Patrick Williams a lot. We've talked a lot about Patrick Williams, so we won't go into that too much right now. But And, and Vassell's been another guy who's projected top ten. Love his length. Love his off-ball defense, his team defense. I think that jump shot could be improved for sure. Like I said, Fred Vinson is going to be around, so that's not too much of a concern for a lot of the guys as long as they show somewhat of the mechanics to be right. an efficient jump shooter. Is Vassell a four at the next level, or is he a bigger three? What do you, what do you see him being in the NBA? I think Vassell is a two-three. Okay. I think, he's, I think he's got a little bit of two. Uh, not very strong or physical. Like He's, he's fairly thin. So I don't see any time at the four, even though he is like six, 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 seven. He was catch and shoot only as a freshman and, and not high volume, but you could see that the tools were there. And then he opened up this year. You know, I love talking about Vassell because he was a guy that Matt and I, <laughs> we didn't know where to put him at the beginning of the year. And I kept saying, Matt, like, you need to put this kid higher. Like if he figures out this shooting, it's over. Like he's, a, he's going to be a top pick. So I love talking about Vassell just to give Matt a hard time. Um, <laughs> He opened up that pit game with a couple pull-up jump shots. And you just kind of threw your hands up and you're like, whoa, does this kid have a pull-up jumper? Because he did not have this last year. And if he does, defenses are in trouble. Turned out, didn't do it with quite the volume that we had hoped. You know, they opened up pit and just let him go pretty much the whole game. Even though it didn't become a concrete part of his repertoire moving forward, it showed it was there. And that's what I think teams are going to buy. I think Wasserman, uh, Jonathan Wasserman put out a, a tweet today of like, you know, some teams actually are buying the potential of Vassell as a creator, not necessarily penetrate driving kick, but just he can get his own bucket. And that was what could really take his ceiling to the next level because a lot of teams still just look him at it as a catch and shooter, but the ability to put on the floor at all and hit pull-up jump shots, again, his release is as high as anybody's in this class. So he's going to be tough to stop. Um, man, that could, that could put him at a whole nother level. So I, I really like Vassell's game. I think once you hit that eight, probably eight after Detroit, no, no spot, I would say too early. So if he's there at 13, that'd be great, but you may have to go up to get him. Sure. And that's what I've seen too. I mean, Halliburton occasionally will fall there, but Vassell, I don't know that I've seen him outside the top 10, maybe more than once or twice. Uh, just because of that talent and especially I mean I don't know how much Pelicans you watched this last year but man they could use a, a really solid team defender a really good off-ball guy um so so Vassell sounds like a dream him and I for me right now if I were to say three guys in the top 10 probably gonna be Killian Hayes Tyrese Halliburton and and, and then Vassell mm -hmm. uh, was that something you agree with or is there another guy that you think would fit better in that top 10? Yeah, and here's what's crazy. If you keep this, if you keep the pick at 13, there's a good chance that one of those guys falls falls to you. I mean, Lewis, the Lewis hype has moved into the top 10 for a lot of people. The Patrick Williams hype has moved into the top 10 for a lot of people. I mean, at that point, 
there's some in the lottery that like RJ Hampton. You move those three up. I mean, again, the nature of a zero sum game, people have to fall. So if those, if the hype train catches and those guys go higher, the Pelicans probably get a shot at one of those guys at 13, which is kind of crazy to think about. And again, I don't think you can go wrong with any of them. <laughs> like take any of them if they're there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Duly noted. I'll, I'll relay the message to, to Griff for us. Yeah. So before we let you go, uh, the, the Pels are sitting at 39, 42, and 60 in the second round. You know, given the, the young team that the Pels have, I mean, and the really short offseason that we're in, I know you got to get going, so we'll try to make this quick. Oh, you're good. But, I mean – I don't see them holding on to all of those. I, I don't think that makes sense. I mean, this this team has a lot to learn. It's going to be boot camp once once camp starts and SVG comes in and starts to institute his defense and his offensive schemes. What kind of value do you think? I mean, if they if they package up those picks and decide to move up a little bit, maybe higher into the second or into that low first. I mean, what kind of value do you think they could get? Could they get that low first pick if they package all three of those? I think they could. What you're going to have is a is you're going to have a hard time getting a team to take all of them for the same reasons that you would want to get rid of all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, only so many teams can bring in this many guys. I think Philly is the one this year with all these picks, and it's like, well, you have to. You're going to take a stash, or you're going to move some because you can't roster that many rookies. It's just not a thing. You're not going to do that. What's interesting about 39 and 42 specifically is that this draft, while there's only probably one or two potential superstars, 20 to like 45, depending on the team that we have spoken to, the boards are interchangeable. You know, there are guys on our mock draft in the late 30s that some teams have like 25. There are teams on the athletics mock draft at 25 that some teams say, no, I'm not touching that kid till 45. So I would actually hang on to both of those at least as long as I could because you're going to get great value as far as potential like first guy off the bench or rotation pieces. In our mock right now, 39, we have Pelicans taking Najee Marshall. And at 42, we have Reggie Perry. A lot of teams have those guys in um, like the early 30s. And I think that's great value if he's there. And again, zero-sum game, guys are going to fall. You have Jay Scrub, Jordan Nora, Robert Woodard, um, Bain, Marshall, Harris, Tyler Bay. Some of them are going to fall. And I think those, again, some of those are first-round talents. So I would keep 39 and 42 because you're going to get good rotation pieces there just because of the depth of um, at least contributors off the bench that you're going to get in this draft. It's pretty deep at 60. You probably take a stash guy. Yeah. Um, There's a couple international guys, again, depending on the board. Uh, I can't believe I Simonovich opted out, which that kind of surprised me, but in and, uh, Petrushev are guys that, you know, if they're there on the board late, depending on how their contracts are set overseas, they'd be worth picking and stashing um, at 60 if you can't move it. Cool. Those are names that I will be looking up if the Pelicans draft them because I'm done. <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is all I need, and I got that article up. So we'll be talking uh, stuff should any other rumors come about in – I don't know if rumors generally come about in second-round options. But yeah. <laughs> Grant Riller is another name that I've heard that point guard position you see him falling at 39 42 again some teams like him at 20 some teams have him in the 40s so it depends on who you ask um he is a guy similar to Bain that I probably only take if I need him to contribute right now and I'm trying to win the title the next couple of years he is so explosive and can score at will especially when driving because his first step is just so fast Um, but he's had an ACL, ACL injury in his past He's one of the oldest guys in the class. So as a long-term, if we're rebuilding, if we're going straight youth movement, he's not a guy that you would select. Um, let's say you have, you keep Drew, you keep Lonzo, you get a point guard and a big, you know, early on, and then he's there on the board at 39 or 42, absolutely take him. Because you keep all those guys, Pelicans are going to be good. Likely a six to eight seed playoff team, probably not going to contend. But again, the roster is good. Um, and he's a guy that can come in and give you punch immediately. His measurements, I think he measured under 6'1 without shoes. So some teams are actually taken back at his height. Um, I think Charleston listed him as 6'3. He was like six foot and a half, I think, for the combine without shoes measurements. So that could affect his stock a little bit. But again, a bona fide scorer 
uh, somebody's going to snatch him up. So at the end of the, the end of the day, if I had to bet, probably not there at 39. There it is. That's some real, really awesome stuff, Derek. We really appreciate you stopping by. Before you go, we got to remind everybody who's listening on YouTube, watching on YouTube, you drop a like, drop a comment. Who do you think the Pelicans are going to take if they stay at 13? If they go in the top 10, they go at 19 or 22. Let us know and subscribe to the channel as well. Derek, do you guys have YouTube stuff, Matt, um, uh, the Babcock Hoops? We do. So uh, we have a Babcock Hoops YouTube page uh, where we'll put like highlight videos, a lot of player interviews, my pre-draft workout trips, um, footage that I've taken in those gyms are there on the YouTube page. And then on Twitter, again, I'm D Murray NBA. Babcock Hoops is just simply Babcock Hoops. And from that account, you can find Matt as well, who's always putting out content for the draft. And we're going to be getting a lot of stuff out there, especially this week before one week left. So um, if you don't want to follow me, that's fine. Follow Matt. That's a good stuff. So, uh, but again, Elliot, I appreciate you having me on. Um, thank you so much. These team ones are really fun because, you know, you can talk about the draft as a whole all the time, but when you really have to put a hat on as a front office, you know, what are we as an organization going to do at this pick or these picks? Uh, those are a lot of fun because you have to really decide how, how much you value certain people. So I appreciate you having me on. For sure. This was fun, man. We will definitely stay in contact and see what we can do post-draft. Once again, Derek Murray of Babcock Hoops joining us today on the show. And there you have it, folks. Conversation with Derek Murray of Babcock Hoops today talking of the NBA draft for the New Orleans Pelicans. Stay tuned. We'll Possibly be having him back or the aforementioned Ethan Piotta joining us as well to, to go over this year's NBA draft. And we'll be bringing you more content over this week as well as we inch closer and closer to Wednesday, November 18th, when the draft actually happens. And there might be trades in the meantime as well. And also, in the meantime, make sure you go follow at Elliot Clough on Twitter. We're officially over a thousand followers, so pretty much legit now. Also, go follow the Bird Rights on Twitter. Go check out their website. We'll have a draft article up today, like I mentioned during the show. And go check out Believe.com. You can see all of their podcasts over there on Believe.com. And before you go, make sure subscribe and or follow the podcast and leave a rate and review Do it! on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in today, fam. I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.